1: I don't want to belabor this too much, but it's of paramount importance that you and I realize that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful to God because of a promise that had been given 2,000 years earlier, so that they lived day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, thinking that Christmas was coming any day now, that a child would be born and a son would be given, and the kingdom would last forever. Today, today,
0: today, today, with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. In this Christmas series, Pastor Jeff speaks about rediscovering the wonder of Christmas, but also what it's like when you're in a spiritual winter having a feeling like God is distant or cold and alone in the wilderness. You may have heard Pastor Jeff cover this topic before, but today he approaches it from a different angle. Join us now for the start of this message on Spiritual Winter.
1: I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Last week we looked at the second section of Luke of Luke chapter 1. Now we're gonna go back up to the top and talk about something that we've mentioned before, but whose application is gonna be a little different than before. I love Christmas. So if you've been around any length of time, you know Pastor Jeff loves Christmas, right? But I'll tell you what I don't like. Cold. <laughs> cold. You know, I went into a coffee clash this week and the owner of Coffee Clatch saw me. I'm sure I keep them in business. So I get a little special attention, and she goes, are you moving? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, everybody's, you know, so many people are leaving California, and I thought you might be leaving, and I said, where am I going to go? Where are going we're spoiled here. In fact, I looked up yesterday, the high in Chicago was 38 yesterday. That's the high, 38. The high in New York was 26 degrees, Okay. In Montreal, people talk so, talk about how beautiful, wonderful Canada is, and it is, but the high was 16 degrees. Anchorage, again, a beautiful landscape. The high was 8 degrees. And then Nursultan, which most of you have never heard of, it's where my daughter lives in Kazakhstan, the high was 2 degrees. She said it gets to minus 40 in, in, during the winter season. Minus 40, you, you, you have to run to your car, and you have to run into the apartment because you can't breathe in 40. And I know you've heard me say, people say, oh, I love the cold. No, you don't. It's what you tell yourself to survive. Nobody really likes the cold. How many people do you see retiring and moving to Chicago or New York? No, they all go south, right? I love LA. I really do. With all of its problems, I love living here. I just do. I love Christmas. I don't like winter. But there's a special kind of winter <laughs> that all of us have experienced and it's what I call a spiritual winter. Now I've referred to this in the past when I talked about the book of Job but we're not it's a different different message different idea but there is a reality of spiritual winter. I remember when I was probably 20 21 years old that I was certain I was going through a, a tragedy in my own life and I was keeping it hidden. <laughs> But I prayed and I felt for certain that God told me everything was gonna be fine. I was sure of it. I ran it by people that I had accountability relationships with. I ran it by a professor that I really respected. I ran what I had thought I'd heard from God to everyone around me. And I feel like it was confirmed. I felt like God had made me a promise, an assurance had been given that this thing I was experiencing was only gonna be temporary and right around the corner, God would bring the healing that summer would come. But then week after week went, and month after month, and year after year, and no movement. Nothing was happening. It was cold. It was dark. Again, I was certain that I heard from God. I tested his words in community. I did everything I was supposed to do. But nothing seemed to be happening. Actually, for the first time in my life, some of you have heard me talk about my faith crisis in my 20s. For the first time in my life, I started asking the question, what good is God? Really? Really? Some of you feel like that God has promised you a child of your own, and now you're in your 40s, and the biological clock is ticking. You're wondering if it's ever gonna happen. You feel as though you've heard from God, some of you, that a significant other is on the way, your soulmate, but now you're in your late 20s, and you're attending the weddings of your friends, now you're even attending baby showers, and still, there's no soulmate, there's no relationship on the way. Some of you feel like God gave you a promise, that he would restore your marriage and you've been praying and you feel like you've gotten an assurance that he would, but he or she on the other side of the fence seems unresponsive. People tell you that your financial struggle is only temporary. It sure feels eternal to you. Others tell you that this health issue that you're facing will make you stronger, but it seems lethal. And then there are so many others of you, of us, Who are just trying to take God at His word. I mean, He's the one that made the promise. We didn't ask for it. We're not asking to get rich. We're just asking if we can survive. Doesn't it say in Philippians 4 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus? So, God, we say, You said it's not good for us to be alone. So, why aren't you sending me a companion to enrich my life? You said that. God, you said you hate divorce. And yet, I've been praying for my marriage, and things don't seem to be improving. And God, you said that we should desire good things. And these things that I desire are good things. You said they were good things, and yet I don't see any movement. When we arrive in Luke chapter 1 in the first part, it's important to note that it's been 2,000 years since the promise was given to Abraham that his name is going to be great. God's going to make him a great nation. Through his seed, one will come whose kingdom will never end. And we're told how it's going to be. In Isaiah 5, 6, for to us a child will be born, to us a son will be given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. But by the time we arrive in Luke chapter 1, it's been a few thousand years. Now you think about that for a moment. What's that like? You think my sermons are long? <laughs> you, think, you think waiting in rush hour traffic is long? You think the six minutes you wait in Chick-fil-A drive through, and you think it's an eternity is long? And I know that because I timed it this week. And it was only six minutes, but it felt so long. I'm not coming back here anymore. That's it. Six minutes. Try 2,000 years. 2,000 years of stories being told from grandparents to their grandchildren about the prophecies that were made of people. They're ready. They're waiting. They're watching year after year, generation after generation, and nothing happens. Nothing. That's why for many of them, they just gave up. They say, we've got to get over this myth or legend that a king is coming. Just move on with life. This Messiah is never, ever going to come. And yet, the Bible tells us within every generation, you had what is called a remnant. A group of people who never gave up on the promise. They prayed. They remained faithful. They devoted their lives. They kept watch. Every day they woke up, and here's what crossed their minds. This could be the day. Dude, it's been hundreds of years, thousands, but this could be the day. Now, one such man is named Zechariah. Part of the Christmas story and his wife, Elizabeth, and we pick up the story in verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So we're told immediately that Zechariah came from a long line of priests. His daddy was a priest. His granddaddy was a priest. His great-great-granddaddy, grandfather was also a priest. They represented God on behalf of the people and carried out all the duties associated with the temple. It was a high calling. Verse 6 tells us, look at it, both of them, that is Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. All the Lord's commands. That's impressive. You know how many laws and commands there were in the Old Testament? I mean, there are reams and reams of paper. They kept them all. Food laws, cleanliness laws, sacrificial laws, laws that impacted just about every single day of your life and were told that they were blameless. That's impressive. But note... Please, they were following and obeying God based on a promise that was made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago so that they lived day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, thinking that Christmas was coming any day now, that a child would be born and a son would be given and the kingdom would last forever. Now, I don't want to belabor this too much, but it's of paramount importance that you and I realize that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful to God because of a promise that had been given 2,000 years earlier. 2,000 years. Since Abraham's day, there have been 25 regime changes. The Syrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans had all conquered Israel. Israel had been enslaved, exiled, occupied, finally dispersed. And now, in the New Testament, when Luke 1 is written, and when the events of Luke 1 are recorded, Israel had absolutely no international influence whatsoever whatsoever and if you remember your history we spoke about the fact that in 65 BC Pompey the Great the great Roman general occupied the city of Jerusalem passed by the temple guards went through the outer courts into the inner courts and walked right into the Holy of Holies the place where Jews believed if you went in there unannounced or uninvited God would strike you dead but Pompey was not struck dead he just walked in walked out And the people of God heard that and believed the message was clear that Jupiter, the God of the Romans, was more powerful than Yahweh. Now, here's the thing. Zechariah, when all this happened, would have been a little boy. He would have seen his father tear his robes. The mourning and frustration, the temple had been desecrated, and God did nothing. Zechariah would have seen all that, and he still goes into the priesthood. That's like knowing the history of the Clippers and still voting and pulling for them. Why would you do that? He didn't understand why God allowed the desecration of the temple, but he knew that God was trustworthy and believed it was part of what God was doing to bring redemption to the world. So he served the Lord his entire life. He marries Elizabeth. Together, they serve the Lord their entire life. In the time when everything's falling apart in Jerusalem and many are turning away from God, both remained faithful and kept waiting for Christmas to come. Now, there's no doubt during this time, historically, we know that many would have come to Elizabeth and Zechariah and said, man, it's over. Give up. It's a myth. It's a legend. Go on with your life and forget about all of this. God's abandoned you. But they remained faithful. When most others had given up, they simply believed the game wasn't over yet. The checkmate had not come, that God was not finished. Now, here's the question. This This is why this text is so wonderful, but at the same time, profound. Uh, How was all this working out for them? Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. What good is God? They do all this. They remain faithful. And in a culture when if you were barren as a woman, you were cursed. It's your fault. You've done something evil. You've done something wrong, so God's abandoned you. And I wonder if Elizabeth ever said, what good is God? I mean, i I've been faithful. And look at my life. Her barrenness would have brought great shame. Somehow she had been cursed. And as a woman in that culture, she would have lost her sense of worth and purpose. Even though she had prayed hard, she lived well, she honored God, she served God, she was still barren. And now she's too old, so it's too late. She's gonna go to her grave in great shame and then... Suddenly, out of nowhere, verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So there are 23 groups of priests and they cast lots to see who gets to go in just outside the Holy of Holies and offer incense representing the prayers of God's people going up to the throne of God. If you're a priest and you're chosen to do this, it is a special privilege and you can never do it twice. And most priests would never be chosen once. There are too many priests and not enough holy days. The lone priest would offer the incense and outside the curtain, just outside the curtain of the place, the, the, the separated place from the Holy of Holies. He would experience and commune with God in a special way. Now, you got to understand, for Zechariah to be chosen, this is like a Dodger fan getting to go into the Dodger clubhouse. (laughs) You're getting into the action. And then verse 10, "'When the time for the burning of incense came, "'all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. "'Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, "'standing out at the right side of the altar of incense.'" When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. I love that. I want to mention this again. Uh, that's the standard response when you see an angel in the Old and New Testament. The angel always, the first thing they say is don't be afraid. You know, you know, they're not these cute little angels we sell at Hallmark. You know, not cuddly cute. The angels in the Bible, they're terrifying. So they just get it out of the way. The first thing they say, don't be afraid. Why? Because people are terrified. In the Bible, the angels are big, powerful, and scary, even when they're not trying to be, even when they turn the fear gauge down a notch or two, even when they turn it all the way down to one. People are still terrified. So the angel says, I've got good news, but first says, don't be afraid. Man, I always think of it. I mean, the angel's bringing good news to Zechariah, and he still has to say, don't be afraid. Imagine if it were you and me. Man, we'd start confessing our sins, making promises, instant revival. Instant <laughs> revival. But Zechariah is still afraid and he's blameless. And then verse 13, the angel says, your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Now you know who this is, right? John the Baptist. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why does he say bring back? Well, because many of them have gone away. They, st- they gave up, It's been 2,000 years. They threw in the towel, they called it quits. And John the Baptist will come and he will preach repent for the kingdom of God is here. And people will say to John, what are you talking about? We stopped looking for this hundreds of years ago. Why? Well, it's been 2000 years. And John will just say, repent. Ask for forgiveness that you gave up, that you didn't trust in the promises of God. And then in verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then comes the most diplomatic verse in the Bible, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and I'm sure there's a pause here, and my wife is well along in years. I think Zechariah's thinking to himself, I hear these things get written down. I better be careful what I say. I'm old, but my wife is mature. Right? (laughs) I'm old, but she's mature. But I think Zechariah would want to say to the angel, hey, angel, Mr. Angel, sir, we prayed in our 20s for this. Nothing, 30s, nothing, 40s, nothing, 50s, nothing. It's too late. And the angel said, I am Gabriel. Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. You know, I used to struggle with this. I wanted to say, dude, the guy's been faithful all of his life, and just because he has a hard time believing this this can come true, you tell him he's going to have to be quiet until it does? This is a whole sermon in and of itself, and maybe... Sometime next year, it will arise out of the ashes. But the reality is, here's what I've learned in my own life. If God targets you, if he decides because of your faithfulness, he's going to use you in ways you can't even imagine, guess what? Your life's about to get tough. See, sometimes you'll say, well, why does this happen to me? It doesn't happen to this guy over here, and he doesn't even love God. Well, it happens to you because you love God. You're in training. They're not. And I think Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to be used even more dramatically than they have. So the angel reminds Zechariah hey, when God tells you something, you just say yes, sir, and move on. But we also hear that there's been an appointed time. Did you see that at the end of verse 20? Do you mean that God marked this day from the beginning? Even 2,000 years ago, he knew the day? That when things looked really bleak, he was still in control. He still had a plan. He had an agenda. He knew exactly what he was doing. Even when things looked really bad all those years, God had a plan to bring deliverance. Is that what you're saying, Mr. Angel? (laughs) Yes. He knew the day. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I, I'm assuming this is the first game of charades. <laughs> I mean, he can't say anything, but they knew something happened in there. So what is he doing? You know, is he rocking like, there's a baby. I'm going to have a baby. No, not me, my wife. I mean, how do you do that? And how long was he in there? 23, when this time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God was gearing up to do what he had planned all along. Now, please, listen. This is our story. Do we stay or do we go? Do we stop believing? Do we disengage? Or do we remain committed and faithful when there seems to be no movement? You know, it's easy to remain faithful when everything's going well. Not so easy when you feel you've been made some promises and they're not coming to completion or fruition. You know, I just got back from Australia and I gathered the pastors together and I asked them what their biggest struggle they had during COVID. You know what they told me? They said, I think the hardest thing was when we realized that people who had been with us forever just left. I said, well, what do you mean? Left churches? Left some No, just left God. Because they could not harmonize how God could allow something like COVID. So they just walked away. And then people we thought were shallow and would never stay, stayed. And dropped anchor. We Christ followers are not immune to a fallen world. <laughs> Jesus said in John 16, in this world you're gonna have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. What don't we understand about that? We're going to have trouble in the world. Powerful people are going to oppress us. They're going to lie to us. This kingdom cannot be trusted at all. And coronavirus should have shown all of us that life is fragile and it can dissipate at any time. And if you don't put your faith in something that is eternal, then your emotional, spiritual constitution, your emotions will go up and down all the time based on how things are on the outside. Jesus said, remember what I told you, John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Philippians three nineteen. but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. I don't know how much more clear Jesus could have been. This is a fallen world. You and I live in a place where we do horrific things to each other, where powerful people oppress the weak, where those with resources tend to take as much as they can, and it's never enough. But we shouldn't be surprised. First John 5, tight team, we're told that we are children of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. There's a mastermind at work. However, Christ says He has the final word and the final victory and the final kingdom belongs to him. In the meantime, okay, Pastor Jeff, thanks for that. But that's kind of, that sounds like a little bit of a platitude to me because I know there's final victory. I know there's a final kingdom. I know he will come and restore everything and make everything right. But here's the problem. I feel like that I've gotten a promise from him in the here and now. What do I do in the here and now while I'm waiting on this kingdom to come? In fact, Pastor Jeff, you said last week in Matthew 7.11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good give, uh, give good gifts to those who ask him? And the gift that you're asking for is a good gift. And you feel like God has promised it to you, just like I did in my 20s. But you've been waiting a long time, and now you're wondering yourself, Did I even hear that right? What do I do? David said in Psalm 41. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 27:14, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So the Bible doesn't tell you to doubt the promise you heard from God. Some of you have got a calling on your life and you know it, but it doesn't feel like that now. Your job is not to doubt the calling. Your job is not to think it's over. Some of you think that because you've made some mistakes in your life, I mean that God can't use you anymore. Well, You're doubting the promise of God. Don't think it over. And whatever you do, don't take things into your own hands. Don't do that. You do what Zechariah and Elizabeth kept doing. You keep waiting, and you're faithful every 24-hour period. You're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. And God always delivers on his promise. say, well, Pastor Jeff, why is God making me wait? I don't know. I'm not God. Well, can't you give me some suggestions? Yes. I'm glad you asked.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: They knew that Jesus died, but when they began to understand why He died, everything changed. Death was actually a triumph. Death was actually a victory. Loss was actually gain. Please hear me on this. I'm telling you that if you want to regain the wonder of Christmas, you have to first regain the wonder of God and you regain the wonder of God by regaining the wonder of the cross.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I'm free I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today Today Today